0: This is our last Sunday of this series. I'm gonna preach a message today called The Final Countdown. <laughs> it was too easy. The final. All right, anyways, yeah, I know it's in your head because you listen to evil music. Anyways, um, I'm gonna preach that message today. Um, but next week, the reason I'm telling you that right now, and I'm going to transition on purpose here in just a second. But the reason I'm telling you that right now is because next week, I'm going to I'm going to do something that I've never done in my tenure at this church. And I really want you to make a special effort to come and to bring somebody with you. I'm going to be extremely transparent. That's not the part I've never done. Um, I'm going to share my personal testimony next week. Um, just some of the raw—next week would probably be a great week for you to take advantage of children's ministry. If, if you don't, I'm just—that was my disclaimer, okay? The rest is on you. It's not my fault anymore if they hear something that they shouldn't have. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very transparent, very open, very honest next week. I've never shared my personal testimony uh, in my tenure at this church from the pulpit, so I'm going to do that next week. We're going to open a series next week called Confessions of a Pastor— um, we're gonna dig into some weeds over November. We're gonna, we're gonna make it to where if you decide to go into the lull between now and Christmas, you're gonna miss out. So don't miss out. Next week, we're starting that series. Um, I wanna ask you a question. Before you do, before I ask you this question, um, I wanted you to engage with me real quick. We have a very special audience. They can't always be here. And then we also have the privilege of streaming our services weekly into the eunice city jail would you please make sure that all those people who are watching us live and or later know that we're grateful for the opportunity it is a it's a rare privilege that we would be in a place i'm not saying it doesn't happen anywhere else i'm just saying it doesn't happen in very many other places um that we get to stream our services into brothers and sisters who are currently incarcerated, and then they come out and become part of our church or another church or whatever, that the gospel's getting in. I think that that is a, a place that we should uh, not take for granted. All right. All right, here's the question that I want to lead with today. In scope of this series, remember two weeks ago, I preached on... Gods that are not the God, but these devils and powers and principalities. Um, I preached on three specific gods, if you will, that have kind of made themselves known over history. That was two weeks ago. Then last week, uh, my friend came in and preached on hell, which I was very grateful because that's always good to let somebody else do that. Um, and then I'll come back and like make you feel good about living for Jesus, right? So that's what we're going to do this week. But before I do that, I want to ask, just consider with me, Because it's going around right now that there's this like, it's hate speech if you tell somebody the truth. Um, So I want to ask the question, hear me, is it unloving if I know someone is bound for hell? Is it unloving for me to tell someone bound for hell that they need to repent and turn to God? that they need to quit getting drunk, that they need to quit living like Hades and expecting to inherit heaven, that they need to quit sleeping around, that they, they, need to, they need to stop whatever it is. Is it unloving for me to look and see this person is bound for eternal separation from a perfectly holy heavenly father that really loves them so much that he killed his only son so that he could have them, okay? So it's, it's not, that was a rhetorical, right? It's not unloving. However, many of us do that in a very unloving way. Many of us do that in a very unloving way. Okay, now I didn't even realize that I was planning this message, that it was gonna land this way until I had written it. And then I went, oh man, it's gonna be October 30th when I preach this message. One day before Halloween. Isn't it interesting? Okay, hang on, because because some of you, you're about to turn off. It's like, oh, here he goes on Halloween. You do do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to tell you what to or not to do. And I can tell you what we do, I can tell you why, I can tell you what we don't do. I mean, I don't think there's any good day of the year to dress up, act like a witch, a ghost, death, Hades, or hell in any form or fashion. I mean, we don't do that any other day of the year. And we're like, well, it's funny on October 31st. No, it's still demonic. Anyways, that's not even my message for today. That's not really why I'm here. I'm just, there's this word, it was this celebration back thousands of years ago, Sanween or Sanhim, it's interesting to me that um, hallows Eve, hallow meaning holy, like hallow would be thy name, right? Hallows Eve became Halloween when ween is the figure of speech tied to the original word for the pagan day of death 2,000 years ago, and we've mixed the holy with the dead and called it a celebration. It's just interesting to me. Okay, so here's what I want to say about that. This isn't in your notes. If we're not careful, we as the children of God and believers, we can become very spiritually arrogant if we're not careful. We can look down our noses at people that we're actually supposed to be leading to Jesus. Jesus and and we can take the gospel the gospel is offensive because the truth challenges the current way of living okay you don't get to be offensive and blame it on the gospel in fact, you're gonna give an account for just being offensive for no apparent reason. The gospel is offensive enough. It doesn't need your attitude. Can I get some help today? And so so if we're not careful, we can be, and I've been guilty of this, is I've learned this the hard way. Like I've watched people walk away from Jesus and prayed in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that God would send somebody else to fix what I broke because I became spiritually arrogant. Listen to me, this is so important. In the same way, if you're not careful, you can become very spiritually negligent. If you're not careful, in the same way that some become spiritually arrogant, you can become spiritually negligent. And you can call evil good and good evil. Or you can call things that are actually evil innocent. And I think that we need to be careful not to become arrogant or negligent. You with me? Here's why. Revelation chapter 20, verse one. John says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. All right, if you see a devil or an angel coming at you with a key and a chain, That is not the time to get too big for your britches. I don't know what happened to John in that moment, but if I saw one of God's angels coming down with a key and a chain, my voice would crack like it just did. Verse 2, the Bible says, And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent. It's really important that we don't read the Bible as some kind of allegorical or figurative idea he seized the literal dragon, okay, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, Satan, an actual being, and bound him for 1,000 or for 1,000 years, okay? Now, that's great because we're gonna rule and reign with Jesus for 1,000 years. Let me give you a 20-second timeline. The next thing that happens in, in my personal interpretation is the imminent return of Jesus. Like the the church being caught up in the air. I preached that several weeks ago. You can go listen to that message. That's the next thing that happens. What's gonna happen after that? Chaos on the earth. And individuals rising to clean up the chaos and explain where multiple millions of people went in the twinkling of an eye. That's biblical. Now listen, if you don't believe the Bible, then we have to have another conversation about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you should probably believe everything else that Jesus Christ said. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then we can have that conversation because everything hinges upon the resurrection. If Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead, then the rest of this book is true as well. If he didn't die and if he's not resurrected, then I'm just living better than I would have been had I not believed in what I thought was God's word. But if the resurrection is true, I ain't got time to preach that sermon today, then we better get in line with the rest of it too. Okay, we believe in a literal 1,000 year reign. Here's what's gonna happen. Seven years of tribulation on the earth, three and a half apiece, three and a half, there's no church here to stop it. The bride of Christ isn't here. The grace of God went with the bride of Christ, those who accepted the grace. The only thing between hell and people is a couple of witnesses and 144,000 evangelists. And hell is going to wreak havoc on this earth because we're not here to stop it, hold it back. Okay? And then, Jesus is going to touch down on the Mount of Olives, and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus for 1,000 years. At the end of the 1,000 years, they're going to be, the, the serpent, and you can read all this in Revelation 20, 21, 22, the serpent is going to be released to tempt the earth or deceive the nations one more time, and then they're going to be ultimately bound at the great white throne judgment, which is where we're going today. Yay. We believe... So we don't believe in a figurative 1,000 years like it's already happened. There's some idiot keeps commenting on my Facebook post. And I hope he, I won't say his name, but you can go look. And he's one of these people, he's a post-millennialist. It means he believes the millennial reign thing has already happened. It's just absurd. It's unbelievable. There's, there's millennials and post millennials and then these people that, that believe that the whole book of Revelation is allegorical or, or figurative and, and should be translated as such. Okay, no, I believe that the Word of God was breathed by the Spirit of God, and this is a literal translation through the perspective of a first-century man named John trying to explain from his eyes what he's seeing happen. So we believe in a literal 1,000 years. We believe in a literal devil named Lucifer. We believe in an archangel that led a third of heaven to rebel against God and his angels, and they were cast out of heaven. And now, if we're not careful, we can be led astray by them. If we're not careful, we can become spiritually arrogant which would ultimately cause us to become spiritually apathetic. And so we'll do stupid stuff, like turn our light off and hide inside when thousands of people are trying to come to our house. Guys, let me tell you just blatantly, Jesus, I'm not saying he would dress up and participate and go door to door and say trick or treat, because that's demonic in origin. In fact, we don't do tricks, we just do treats. Jesus would not turn his light off and hide in his house tomorrow night. I'm telling you, I read what the man did in the first century. It just gives me a general idea of what he would do in the 21st century. He wouldn't engage. He wouldn't participate in evil activities. He would be careful. He would not be negligent, but he would not be arrogant. He would see it as an opportunity to win everybody that came to his house. How often... Do people come to your house for you to share the gospel with them? Unless they're Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. I don't get mad when those people come. I'm like, come on in. Let's talk about it. This is the day that the Lord has made. You don't even know it, but you came to the wrong house. Or maybe you came to the right house. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, because we believe in a literal devil, a literal hell, a literal 1,000 years, a literal judgment, a literal lake of fire. Here's what Peter told the church. He said, hey, be sober-minded, because that's not just physically intoxicated. You can become mentally intoxicated. Be sober-minded. Be watchful, because your adversary an actual adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Watch what Peter says. He says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Don't be spiritually negligent. Don't just go along to get along because you heard this your whole life and think you're gonna inherit heaven because you prayed a prayer a long time ago. Don't succumb to that. No, 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 there are dark forces of evil operating in invisible realms. Are y'all with me? So when you watch things that you're not supposed to watch, when you listen to things that you're not supposed, to, when you do things you're not supposed, there is demonic activity operating that you can't see, but you can sense because God gave you a spirit and he gave you a conscience and he gave you a conviction. That's why you're not comfortable staying in those things, but you keep returning to those things because you're not willing to fully surrender to the sobriety that the Holy Spirit actually has for you. A third of heaven fell, and a third of heaven right now is moving strategically. I don't know if you've noticed, just YouTube real quick, and you will see some strategic move by demonic powers and principalities of evil specifically in the United States, they're not moving blatantly. It's not an obvious move, it's subtle. It's like one decision at a time, like one decision in the 1970s, one decision in a couple of days, one decision by legislators, one decision that you make personally and or individually They're subtly, hear me, listen, they're subtly entrenching the church with apathy. They're subtly entrenching the church with division and discouragement and disobedience. The Bible says, out of the mouth of Jesus, and I love what Evangelist Stidham said last week, the same Jesus that said, I have not come, the Son of Man has not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's the same one that said, if you don't repent, you're going to face an eternal hellfire meant for the devil and his angels. It's the same Savior that said, the words of the enemy, the thief, shall come and steal, kill and destroy, and I don't want to over preach this because I got people falling asleep already. <laughs> but but if you under if you look at that verse, you understand that Jesus was proclaiming that the thief is bound to a certain process. The thief cannot kill until he steals, and he can't destroy until he kills. But if you remember reading just a minute ago in Revelation chapter twenty, the Bible doesn't say that the devil has a key to anything. The Bible said that Jesus has the key. So the only door of opportunity that the devil has is the one that you give to him. He can't come in unless you got an open door. He can't get in unless you open up a window of opportunity. He's not standing outside with a key about to break into your house, but if you leave the door open, you leave the house empty, you leave the window unlocked, he's going to come in and he's going to steal and he's going to kill and he's going to destroy. But Jesus holds the key in Revelation 20, and watch this. He said, I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in the heaven. I, in other words he's saying I'm giving you the key I'm not giving it to the devil you got you have the key. you have the answer. So although and listen, although I encourage you, this week, and this is just happened to be where this, we just happened to be landing on, on Halloween and, and, and midterm voting and all kinds of stuff. The, although I encourage you to go vote. Like people have died so that you have the right to vote. Get off your butt and go to the polls. It's very important. And when the the evangelical movement will get off of their behind and go make sure that they vote and not just whine and complain about what's going on, but actually contribute, then the voice of evangelical followers of Jesus will be heard. But if you don't vote, then it can't be heard. And if you didn't register to vote because you were lazy or distracted or just took for granted your freedom, don't be mad when it gets taken away. So (laughs) that got deep, just hang on, hang on with me for a second because there's grace, okay, watch this. Go out and vote, get engaged, be informed, make sure that you're involved be involved in the city politics community politics be involved in in law enforcement be involved as first responders as teachers as doctors in law but i don't think that the devil cares who's sitting on the earthly seat of the white house now i'm not saying that god doesn't care i'm not saying that we shouldn't care and that we shouldn't pray i just don't think the devil cares i don't think the devil cares who's sitting in the seat of congress I don't think the devil cares who's sitting in the seat of Baton Rouge. I don't think the devil cares who's sitting in the police chief's office and or city hall. I don't think the devil cares. Why do I not think the devil cares? Because he already has most of them. I think the devil is more interested in dividing, discouraging, and distracting the spirit-filled saved people that could actually do something about what he's trying to establish while we're still here on earth. I think he cares way more about lulling the church to sleep because he knows that the church, the blood-bought body of the living God, is the only thing that can hold him at bay until he gets to have his way for this short span of time. And so he's content to just subtly distract us and discourage us. And you've heard it quoted a thousand times. I'm going to quote it 1,001 times. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, upon this rock, what rock? Not a man. Jesus doesn't build churches on men. Those things fall apart. You want to see a church that's built on the back of a man? Watch the man fall, and the church will go away. You want to see a church that's built on the faith and the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord? That man can move, and the church will multiply. When Jesus left the earth, the church multiplied. When Paul left Ephesus, the church multiplied. When John was moved to the Isle of Patmos, the church multiplied. Anything built by the hands of men is going to fall apart because of the fumble of a man and or a woman but the things that are built by the hands of God. Jesus said, I will build my church upon the rock. Upon what rock? The rock of faith in Jesus. The rock of confession in Jesus. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that I'm building because I put my blood on the body. And even if the devil could handle the body, he can't do nothing with the blood. Now, that went over better in first service, so I'm just going to read the next scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So, Paul says to the church in Corinth, we should not be outwitted by Satan. He's an actual being. For we are not ignorant, and so we are without excuse. We are not ignorant of his designs or strategies. Watch this, verse 14. But thanks be to God who in... Christ always, thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. I'm going to hurt myself. He didn't say he led us. He didn't say he's going to lead us. We're not waiting on revelation. We are revelation to this generation. Paul said, our father God in Christ leads us past, present, and future in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Have you ever used the phrase, well, that stinks? It might stink because you're a part of it. It shouldn't stink if you're engaged in it. Because when a believer in the name of Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God, enters into the room, a triumphal procession of the children of God begins to come through, and then God uses us to spread a new fragrance. So what used to stink is now Spirit-filled. Come on, somebody. That's what... Paul is telling the church should take place when we get involved in the economy when we get involved in the community when we get involved in our house well I don't even like going home people probably don't like going home with you if it stinks then do something about it don't add to the toxin already in the atmosphere the devil and powers of principalities of darkness are not an idea They're not an ideology. It's not some kind of mental state of fallenness. They are actual beings. But, although the devil is not something or someone that people blame for all their problems, the devil was created. Ezekiel 28, you can read it on your own. I don't have it in your text today. Ezekiel 28 shows us that God, the Father, created Lucifer, and we also know that he created Michael and Gabriel, the other archangels, and he created all the angels and all the elders and all the cherubim and all the seraphim and all the people. In him, all things were created. He created them all, okay? Watch this, if the devil was created by God, then he's not eternal. If the devil's not eternal, then he's not all-knowing. He's not omniscient. In other words, the devil only knows what you show him. The devil only knows what you tell him. The devil only has access to what you give the access to. The devil's not eternal, so he's not omnipotent. It means he's not all-powerful. It means the only authority that he has in your life is the authority that you allow him to have. Are y'all okay today? The devil is not omnipresent. Those are three big words. It just means he can't be everywhere all at the same time. He's stuck like us to being one place at a time. And he's only allowed to go where God allows him to go and or the representation of God on the earth allows him to go. He's not omnipresent. In other words, it probably wasn't the devil that made you do it. Well, the devil's just been messing with me. Probably not. It's probably just a lack of discipline on behalf of the so-called disciple that's really causing us so much problems. Now, I'm not saying the powers and principalities aren't real and that we don't have spiritual warfare. I'm just saying that in the name of Jesus, by the Spirit of God, the devil has never been and never will be a formidable foe. I'll come back to it in a minute. It'll make you feel better. Isaiah chapter 14, watch what he says. Verse 12, how... You are fallen from heaven. This is a reference to the devil, Lucifer, who has possessed an earthly king. He says verse 13, "You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set on my throne on high. I will set on the amount of the assemblies." Verse 14, "I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Watch this, I will make myself like the most high." What did the devil tell Eve? The woman, she wasn't Eve yet. Adam named her Eve. God called her Adam, one like unto the man. What did he say to the woman? That if you eat of the fruit? No, no, no. God just knows that you will be, what? Like him. See, the devil tempts us with the same thing that he fell to. It was the first temptation. He knew exactly what to say to her to get her to fall because he had already fallen for it. He just doesn't want to fall alone. He's like that coworker that got found out that tries to take as many people out as they can. Like those baseball players that take steroids and then write books about all the other people that took steroids too. They're just not willing to, they're just not willing to fall alone. It's like church people that make mistakes and then start blaming everybody but themselves. Verse 14, he says, I will ascend. I'm sorry, verse 15, God says this, but you are brought down to Sheol you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Verse 16, and those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. This, this is, it's cool and concerning. The concerning part is, they will ponder over you, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Like, kings, kingdoms, People and principalities are going to be able to spiritually and physically, like Elisha and the servant were able to see the chariots of fire surrounding the army. We're going to be able to see into the spiritual, and we're going to get a glimpse of who Lucifer was, which, by the way, he's not a red devil with a tail and a pitchfork, and it ain't funny to dress like him. That'll go over better next week when we're not going to do it on Monday. <laughs> Take that thing back. Never mind. <laughs> people are going to look at the devil. And they're gonna, people are going to look at Lucifer, an actual being. And men and women and children and kings and emperors and governors and presidents and a whole lot of church people that weren't really a part of the body are going to look and go, that's... that that's it he's he made the earth tremble he he's the one that cost me my family he he's the one that tempted me a, 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 and he's the one that that convinced me to and lulled me asleep. he's the one that caused me to be more distracted by work than i am kingdom He's the one that caused me to be more frustrated in trying to accomplish all of my ambitions than than I was just humble to invest in the people that I care about. Like, he's the one. Like, he's the reason I didn't give. That's it. Because they're going to see a devil that was nothing more, watch this, than a created being. If the devil was a created being by an eternal God, watch, hear me, it means he's not eternal and if he's not eternal come on somebody let us stir you a little bit this is the cool part if he's not eternal then he had a beginning if he's not eternal and he had a beginning it means he has an end it means his time is running out he's on a clock and everybody one day is gonna look and go is that the man that tried to make the earth tremble and tried to call this, the kingdoms to shake this person is not who he thought he was Was and he can't do what he thought he could do. Here's the purpose of that part of the message. Number one, the works of the devil have already been destroyed. I am taking this and recalibrating it to fit this message because I heard my pastor, Denny Duran preach this to his church about eight months ago. I was riding around on my lawnmower. That's when I listen to my best sermons. You know, when you're doing something Ungodly, You got to try to fill it with time with the spirit. And so I'm listening to this message. The works of the devil have already been destroyed. Hear me, that's really important. It's not that the works of the devil are going to be destroyed. It's not that the works of the devil are just being destroyed. It's the works of the devil have already been destroyed. In other words, what we're going to read in Revelation chapter 22 is really just confirmation of what God said in Genesis chapter 3. When he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, I don't have time to give you a biology lesson, but most of the time, seed doesn't come from the woman. Seed came from God to the woman. Come on, somebody. And God is to be celebrated for what he plants inside of us when he skips the natural to perform the supernatural. And Jesus was born through immaculate conception. And God was saying in Genesis, God was saying in Genesis chapter 3, that there's going to be enmity, enmity between you and between them because we're joint heirs with Jesus according to his promise come on some what he's saying is the devil can only strike at your heel but you have already received the anointing of proclamation according to Genesis chapter 3 that every time he strikes your heel you crush his head over and over again so revelation is really just confirmation of what God already said in Genesis chapter 3 Jesus came to prove in Matthew Mark Luke and John it's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 put on the whole armor of God don't just put on the belt of truth and go around trying to slap people with it you look like a fool pants on the ground (laughs) hey look listen this is important don't just go outside in the helmet of salvation Man, I think you forgot something. (laughs) What? I got my salvation. That, so, uh, it's the, you know what? Do you, bro. Do you. No, no, no. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put the shoes of the gospel of peace because your feet are going places that only you can go in that day that God has anointed for you to go in them. Then pick up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God because you're not just going to work today, you're going to war today. And God is about to use you as you put on the whole of God, and you will be able to stand against the strategies and schemes of the one that everybody's going to look at and go, that deceived the nations. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Now that about jumped off the page to me because I'd never read that verse until I came across it in my studies last week. That means Jesus is the one who sanctifies and we are the ones who are sanctified and we all have the same source. So everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus overcame, all the anointing that Jesus operated in for four gospels, we have access to. We have the same source as the son of God. And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, verse 12 saying this, I will teach of your name to my brothers, and you can say brothers and sisters, you can say children of God. I will teach your name to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Watch what he where in the midst of the congregation. This is the same word in the Greek that Jesus used in the Aramaic when he said, when two or three are gathered in my name. I will be in their midst. It doesn't mean that he's not omnipresent that he doesn't have access to everything all the time as he wants to. He's just saying that there's some kind of anointing that is only available in the midst when two or three gather in my name. And Jesus, this is why it's so important to what, you know what, let me just go ahead and preach it for a second. It's so important that we don't just stay satisfied with watching online because LSU's great on the TV. Come on somebody. But there's just something about being in the atmosphere. It's the same. Now, listen, if you can't help but be online and that's your best, then do your best. But if you're just being lazy because you don't want to get up and get dressed, come on, somebody, I'm telling you, you're missing out because when you come to this church and we all gather in the name of Jesus, it's why it bothers me when people stand around and they just stare at the screen and they don't engage because worship and love are an action that is expressed. And when we don't engage, Jesus is walking by according to the Bible in the midst of the congregation and he's looking for somebody to sing the praises to the Father with and I don't want him walking up and down these aisles or walking up and down these hallways and not being able to Well, a preacher, you just don't understand. I just don't worship that way. You just don't understand. That's just not my personality. No, I understand you went live on social media not too long ago and your baby hit a ball over a fence and you went nuts in front of everybody. I understand that if your favorite team scores the way that you want them to score, what I'm telling you is we need to stop rebelling against God and the things of God, and then going out there and celebrating only the things of man. We need to rebel against the things of man and bring back the reverence to the house of God, because Jesus is walking the aisles of the congregation in the midst, looking for somebody to sing with, not stare with. I didn't even mean to preach that. (laughs) Verse 13 says, and again, I will put my trust in him. Verse 14 says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy. Through death he might destroy. If I'm not mistaken, Jesus died 2000 years ago. And it was through the death of Jesus that the enemy was destroyed. It's through the death that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, and that—that that is, at the time that this was written, the devil. But he doesn't have the power anymore because Jesus already died. Man, that clock is on speed today. <laughs> They're like somebody's like, "This, you're on speed today." <laughs> Now, I'm on caffeine in the Word. So watch me pass out about 2.30 today. I think that Jesus and the Holy Spirit came up with a plan. Have you ever seen these fight promoters? You've seen these people, all they do is promote the fight. They don't actually fight. They just, they just stir the fight up. They're like the little guy in the bar in college, like, you know, standing behind the big guy, like running his mouth. Fight promoter. I'm telling you, they don't ever actually have to get in the fight. They don't ever have to hit anybody or be hit. They just stir the fight up. They promote the fight between the champion and the challenger. And then they get paid for it. They get paid to start fights. Y'all, I miss my calling, because I'm telling you, I'm good at that. I practiced that while I was working on my testimony I'm going to share with you next week. That's it. You'll get it in a second. I, that's what the Holy, I think the Holy Spirit was a promoter. Let me show you what I mean. Now, this is, I'm not being blasphemous here, sacrilegious. Just hang in here with me for a second. The Bible said that Jesus walked out into the Jordan River. And when he waded out in the Jordan River and John tried to argue with him about being baptized, he baptized him anyway. And the Bible says when he came up out of the water... I just went North Louisiana on y'all. When he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit had Jesus do before he performed one miracle or did one act of ministry was the Bible said he led him into the wilderness. He led him, he promoted him into the wilderness to what? To be tempted by the devil for 40 days. He's a fight promoter. He knew that Jesus was the champion, but the devil didn't know that yet. You got to remember the devil didn't have this book yet. Oh, yeah. He only had Genesis through Malachi. The gospels were being written in that moment. And so the Holy Spirit being a fight promoter led the champion out into the wilderness all by himself. And I think the challenger thought, "This is my time." He's beat down. He hadn't done anything. He's he, he's all alone. He's hungry, he's thirsty, and we think that the devil tempted him three times, but that's not what Luke chapter 4 says. Luke chapter 4 says, and for 40 days, the devil tempted Jesus. We just get to see the top three. For 40 days, all alone, I think the devil came to Jesus and he thought he had him. And that's why we get to see one of the first temptations he said is, hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry, but I I want you to turn this rock into bread. In other words, all he was saying was, I just want you to perform the same miracle that you used to perform. I just want you to do today what you did in the days of Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness. But I love that, that in Revelation, Jesus didn't say, "Come, I'm coming to do the same old thing over and over again. He said, I'm coming to do a new thing. I'm not going to do tomorrow what I already did yesterday. What I'm about to do is better than anything that I've ever done before. Jesus wasn't willing to turn that stone into bread because he said, man shall not live upon bread alone, but by every word of the living God. And then the devil thought, okay, well, I don't got him on that, but I'll try this. Then he says, well, why don't you bow down and worship me? What is that? I'm reading that story. I'm, this dude ain't even smart. He just said no to food. I mean, maybe if he had like a cup of water or something, he's like, hey, you give me a hug, I'll give you a drink. We know which one you want. But he's like, all right, since you won't turn stones into bread when you're hungry, maybe you'll bow down and worship me. <laughs> How stupid are you? I wouldn't do that. Why would I do this? Because the devil don't know. He only knows what we show him. He only has the knowledge of what we tell him. And so he's just trying to convince the Savior to do the one thing that he's not supposed to do. And so Jesus says, no, the Bible says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. We don't build idols. We don't build statues. We don't pray to any, we, we worship Jesus and Jesus alone because Jesus said, there is no other way to the Father except through me. You can't come through anybody else. You got to come to me. And then the third thing, he wouldn't bow down and worship him because he didn't care about earthly kingdoms. So then the devil says this, all right, well, why don't you jump off a cliff? <laughs> that's where we get the phrase, will not you jump off a cliff? Because that's basically what Jesus tells him back. I had never caught this before until I was honestly preaching through it. Jesus says to the enemy, He he says, no, 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 the Lord God says that you shall not test him. In fact, here's what Jesus was saying to the devil. I'm not gonna do what you've already done because I saw what happened to you when you tested the Father. You were removed from the kingdom. You're just trying to get me to do the same thing you got the woman to do. But I'm not Adam, and I'm not the woman. Jesus and the Holy Spirit set Lucifer up to make sure that the whole world and all of creation knew that the devil's never had authority, and the devil will never be able to have authority Jesus didn 't even have to go to, to go to the cross to overcome the temptation of the enemy. He had to, however, have abide in and pick up the sword of the Spirit in order to appropriately engage in the battle let 's take Jesus to the cross because I think Lucifer was there. Somebody come play so they 'll think we 're almost done. I think jesus <laughs> she was just waiting. She's looking at that clock going, is he ever going to get to the second point? I only have two. That's the good news. (laughs) I think Jesus was in the room during communion, which by the way, he only had with the disciples one time in three years. It was predominantly as like a, me ate with them a lot. So don't make a bigger deal out of that than you're supposed to make a big deal out of him. So there they are in the room. And I think Lucifer had access to be able to see what was going on. Because if Judas had access, then Lucifer had access. Otherwise, how would he have known when to fill Judas, when to possess Judas? But Jesus said in that room, whoever dips his bread in my cup, he's gonna be the one that betrays me. And then this fool stands up, takes his bread and dips it in Jesus's cup. I mean, if I'm in the room like, dude, for real? Nobody said anything. Like, they didn't even see it. I mean, who dips bread in wine anyways? I mean, like, maybe if he was having cookies and coffee, I'd be like, man, golly, I don't want to betray you, but you're like the only one with a cup. I just need a little bit. Can I just have a Can you pour some in another cup? Let me dip it in that. I don't know. It's just how my head works. He dips it in the cup, and I think that Lucifer thought in that moment, I've got him. Because then he fills Judas with his spirit, and Judas goes and sells Jesus out for 30 coins, 30 pieces of silver, and then he brings the Sanhedrin, which is all the Pharisees and Sadducees, and a legion of Roman soldiers, and they come to arrest Jesus. Now, there's part of that story that's hilarious I'll leave out for today, but I think he sees Jesus arrested and dragged into the courtyard of Pilate, and I think the devil looked up and said, I got him. I got him. I got him. He hadn't read the end of the book. He did not know yet. And then, Jesus is beaten because Pilate, like a bunch of Christians, would rather wash their hands than do anything about what's wrong. See, standing by idly is just as evil as engaging in the evil activity. And I think when Lucifer looked up and saw the one person that could have done something about what everybody wanted to do, wash his hands, I think he looked up and said, I've got him. And then Jesus was beaten nearly to death and a crown of thorns was placed on his head by a bunch of devils that possessed a bunch of Roman soldiers. And then Jesus grabbed the cross and began to walk it down the Via Della Rosa and up the hill of Golgotha. But his humanity wasn't able to bear the weight, the physical weight of that cross. And Jesus was showing us that you weren't meant to engage in this battle alone. You need a body. You need a group. You need disciples to be discipled. And then he gets to the top of the hill and he's nailed to the cross through his hands and through his feet. And with a crown of thorns, naked and ashamed on a cursed piece of Roman wood, the devil looks up and says, I've got him. I didn't get him in the wilderness. It was just me, him and the spirit, but I've got him. Look at him. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the devil looks around at all of the third of heaven that fell with him. And then, as they're warming up their hands for what they think they're about to get to do, Jesus makes this proclamation and he says, it is finished, as he takes his last breath and he dies. And the devil goes, ah, what did he just say? Why did he say that? Because he didn't see that coming. He knew what the proverb was about life and death being in the tongue. But the last thing that Jesus said before that didn't sound like he was operating in life. It's because he was receiving death. But then in that moment, Jesus went from death to life in an instant and declared that it is finished. And then all of a sudden, as the devil and his angels were standing in the gap of what they thought they were about to get to do, the Bible says that the ground began to shake and the veil was torn from top to bottom and the blood of Jesus spoke a better word than the blood of Abel and I think that the son of man walked up to the door of hell with the keys that he's always had and he's going to show up with again he's not ready to bind them right now but he's getting ready to let them know that they're going to be bound and then he delivers come on all of the saints from paradise and that's why dead people are walking around Jerusalem because the body was confused about what God was doing in the supernatural and Jesus ascends into the heavens and sends the Holy Spirit and the one that had denied him before is now standing with the eleven and three thousand people are saved at the proclamation of one man what does that tell us number two we must fight to establish the kingdom it's not just God's fight yeah the battle belongs to the Lord he's already won it but we must we have to fight James 4, 7, you're familiar with it Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee. You have to resist. This word resist, it doesn't mean put up your hands and hope that nothing bad happens. It means resist. It means mount up. It means put on the whole armor of God. It means wake up and go to war. Engage, establish, get involved. If all you can do is pray, then pray. And if my people, I'm not even gonna quote it, we've heard it so many times, resist the devil, he'll flee. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. The works of the devil have already been destroyed, but we have to fight to establish the kingdom. My pastor, Denny Duran, one of my pastors, I have a lot of pastors. I'm so fortunate to have multiple men and women of God investing in my life. You know how I got there? By following Jesus. Because I had none and now I have innumerable. Because if you'll just follow Jesus, he'll put everybody that you need in your life when you need them. Seven months ago, I heard him preach this sermon. And he quoted the Ukrainian president. Do you guys remember this? Our president, I think with good intentions, I'm not throwing our president under the bus. I pray for him. Our president, with good intentions, offered to give the president of the Ukraine a ride out of his country. Offered to evacuate him and his family out of his country. And the Ukrainian president will go down in history for the quote, I don't need a ride, give me ammunition. The Ukrainian president said, there are families here that can't evacuate, there are people here that can't evacuate, and the only way that they're gonna get out of this is if I do my job. I think that's a message to the church. I think that we need to stop looking for a way out. I think that we need to stop hoping for Jesus to show up and get us out of this mess. I think we need to wake up and engage in the battle. It's time that we stop looking for a flight and start engaging in the fight. I'm telling you, so God help me in the name of Jesus, I will engage in this battle on behalf of my savior. I will engage in this battle on behalf of my marriage. I will engage in this battle on behalf of the generation that is not currently able to fight for themselves. I will engage, I will fight this battle in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit because this community requires a church, a body of Christ to support it into the vision that God has for it. The state of Louisiana is in a state of desperation and the only way that it is going to get out is if the people of God wake up and get engaged. America is in a place that it has never been before and the only thing that is going to save this nation is Every person that professes Jesus as Lord puts on the armor of God and engages in the battle. Paul said, I fight the good fight of the faith. I don't fall back and hope somebody fights for my family on my behalf. I'm not going to whine about what's going on in my nation. I'm gonna get to work. Revelation 20 verse 11 says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Verse 12, and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Watch this, verse 15. If you weren't awake before that, wake up now. If somebody's asleep, I'm telling you, this is really important. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into an eternal lake of fire. Where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Where darkness rules and reigns and there is absolutely no hope of repentance or salvation for eternity. I want you to notice the gap. Revelation 21, verse three, this is important. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, and this is Revelation 21, we just read Revelation 20. Heard a voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Watch this, verse four. And I just wanna leave this up there for a second. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'm about to mess up some of your theology because some of us have been taught that when we pass from this life into the next, every tear, every sorrow, every pain, every ounce of anything that we've ever been through is all wiped away, and it's not true. See, I don't, and this is my personal interpretation. This is not biblical absolute. I don't personally believe that the people who have gone before me know less up there than they would have known down here if they would have stayed. I believe they're in the presence of God, they're in the fullness of the knowledge of God. If you look at the rich man that was in Sheol at that time, he knew what was happening. He was very aware of what was going on in the supernatural and in the natural, but he couldn't do anything about it. See, I don't believe that we go from here to there and then everything's just okay. And there's no more pain and there's no more sorrow Because heaven, as we know it currently, is nothing more than a holding place for those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and lived out his will for their lives. Just like hell is nothing more right now, the current holding place of hell, learned more about that last week, is nothing more than a holding place for the wicked dead who refuse to accept Jesus as sacrifice, who refuse to live for God, who were never willing to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus. That's hell. And the only thing that those people in hell have currently to look forward to is that great white throne judgment that I just read about. It's going to be the only relief that they experience for the rest of eternity. That's all they're thinking about right now while they're in hell, As I can't wait to go stand before God so that I will just have a moment of relief from this eternal torture that I brought upon myself. And then they're going to go stand before God. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, we just read it a minute ago, or Revelation 20, that they'll stand before the great white throne judgment. We can see the whole picture of this. And God separates the sheep, those who confess Jesus as Lord and live their lives for Jesus, from the goat, those who may have heard the word of God but weren't willing to live by it. Those who refuse to accept and and receive the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. Watch, here, this is, we're all going to be there for that. We're going to watch as God takes every created being, angels, demons, and us, and separates them one by one. It means we're going to watch the people that we went to work with every day be thrown into hell because we didn't say anything because we were satisfied to show up for a service a couple of times a month and call that church. I'm telling you, we're going to be right there. And, and here's what I think, and this isn't a ploy, because I'm not even receiving that this week. I think that we're going to be right there when the child that we had to tell we don't have room for because we didn't have enough people give to build all the rest of the buildings because they were offended every time preachers asked for money in the past. And we're going to watch the child that we didn't give to. Maybe the missions project for the well that we didn't build. Or the school that we didn't start. Or the missionary that we didn't send. And we're going to know my dollar could have saved that soul if I just would have given. But I didn't want to. You know, because I had to pay my cable bill and my internet and my excessive car note and all my toys and my leases and my... And we're going to watch... Boom, hell. We're gonna watch as the people that we spend every day of our lives with, and we either become spiritually arrogant or spiritually negligent, stand before God and are thrown into hell. And it's gonna rip us apart. And some people aren't even taking it seriously, like right now, I don't know how else to get your attention. We're gonna watch. The times we didn't serve, the time we didn't pray, the time we didn't give, the time that we didn't share our story, the time that we didn't cook that meal, the time that we didn't shake that hand. We're going to watch our waitress go to hell because we were more worried about our drink than her soul. We're going to watch. And we're not going to feel good about how super spiritual we are. And, well, they, they just don't know what I know. You're right. They don't. And then somehow... In his sovereignty, God is going to come in. He's going to wipe away every tear of every person that we cared about that was thrown into hell because we didn't say anything. Or because they watched the way that we lived lazily and or complacently and used our lives as justification to continue in their sin. And then somehow, God's gonna come in in the sovereignty of the Father. He's gonna wipe away every tear. We're gonna have kingdom perspective. And then there will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. Behold, Pastor Weston read it, not knowing that this was my scripture, I'm making all things new. See that? despair of that day has a contingency. What does that mean? It's subject to something, to one thing. The despair of the day of judgment is contingent upon whether your name is written in the book and whether you do everything that you can do to make sure that everybody around you has their name written in the book as well. I know I overpreached. I know I went too long. I had to get this point across. I gotta ask, is your name written in, everybody look this way, look this way, because there's way too many people, I'm losing you right now, and this is your soul. I don't do this every week. Is your name written in the book? I rebuke the rebellion out of you. Look at me right now. Make eyes with me. I'm going to wait for everybody in this room. This is your moment. Is your name written in the book? I don't care how many times you've prayed. That's not what I'm asking. I don't care how many family members you had that gave. I don't care if your name's on the building. Is your name written in the book? Now, let me ask an even more important question for you to ask yourself, because I'm in this with you. Am I doing everything that I can do to make sure the people around me are not going to suffer that punishment, to make sure that their name is written in the book? I promise you're not more tired than me. Am I fully surrendered My job, my gifts, my abilities, my words, my effort, my energy, my finances. Is it all his? Because I can, I promise. I'm telling you, we'll all be there. And the only thing we're going to care about on that day is did I do everything in my power to make sure that that person stands with me instead of spends eternity separated from him? My faith, my finances, my abilities, my gifts, are they fully surrendered? Am I engaged? Am I fully devoted to the kingdom of God? I made my decision in February, 2006. I'll share more of the story next week. I told her, my girlfriend at the time, from this day forward, I will follow Jesus with all of my heart. It's the only reason I'm here. Have you made that decision? If you did, are you doing it? It's the culmination of this series because he's a good God. The powers of hell have already been destroyed, but we have to engage in the fight.